You're listening to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life podcast. I'm Janine Strong, and every two weeks, I endeavor to have an inspiring conversation with an ordinary person leading an extraordinary life. And I think my conversation today with Pamela Cuchinel will be fun and enlightening. Pamela Cuchinel bought her first deck of tarot cards when she was 14. The checkout girl asked her if she could read them, and she answered yes, even though she had never held a deck in this lifetime. And it wasn't until her Saturn return that she understood that they were a part of her destiny. And I'll let her explain what a Saturn return is. The tarot helped her learn to meditate, heal from a divorce, and find her way to wholeness. Pamela is an artist, writer, and a consulting astrologer. She offers reliable, relevant spiritual insight with a practical twist to her clients. Hi, Pamela. How are you? I'm very good, Janine. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Now, we probably just talked, let's see, for a half hour. <laughs> and <laughs> okay. I, how many times did I say, oh, we should be recording that? So. <laughs> I lost count. <laughs> I know, I know. So I'm, I'm excited because uh, I really enjoyed our, our chat, and uh, I know that you have a lot to offer. I like to start with a person's story. Uh, you know, how did you become interested in tarot and astrology, and you know, what's what a little bit about your background, and and then we can get into what is astrology and tarot, and and how they can help people. So go ahead. All right. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> well. I hadn't thought in a long time about that first purchase of tarot cards when I was a kid, but I really have no memory of how or why I was interested in it. I think I probably just saw them at the store and I wanted to have them because I didn't come from the kind of background where I would have any exposure to such things. Um, my parents were wonderful people, um, very conservative, uh, very devout Catholics. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mother believed in education ferociously. And so she didn't really restrict anything I read or played with because she just saw it all potentially as sources of knowledge. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I think she was a little unusual. But um, I, I had an interest in many things that were not what I was really exposed to. And I used to spend a lot of time in the library also reading about different things. But I didn't really own or become very committed to the metaphysical arts until my first marriage was dissolving. And at that point in time, I had no means to really cope. I couldn't, I I just saw everything as being a failure, a disaster. My heart was broken. Mm -hmm. And uh, I realized I wasn't going to be able to drink a half a bottle of vodka every night that I had to (laughs) figure out a better course of um, self-care. So uh, I, I was, oddly enough, involved with yoga. Even as a young person, I taught myself yoga from a book. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing that had eluded me was meditation. So at this point in time, I thought, well, if I learned how to meditate, I would probably be calmer at this point in time. So a friend suggested that I start studying tarot cards to learn to meditate, which was a new concept to me. I hadn't heard that before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I actually started studying tarot, a uh, rather deep form of learning the cards through a, it actually was a mail order service at the time uh-huh. <laughs> based in San Francisco. Okay. And so every week I would delve into a card and um, it's a tremendous method to really gain a lot of knowledge about the self and the psyche because the cards are all major arcana cards are all symbols of different pieces 
of the human psyche, which we all share. We just manifest them differently or deal with them differently at, at whatever time we happen to be going through. Mm -hmm. And then from that, people wanted me to start reading cards, which wasn't anything I had planned to do. <laughs> and then they started taking me to dinner or giving me money for it. And I I thought, why does this work? This makes no sense to me because I'm an Aquarius. We're very logically minded. Mm -hmm. And uh, I also have a lot of strong Scorpio in my horoscope, which makes me skeptical. Mm -hmm. So the combination was, I don't know how this is working. And I thought, well, maybe I should study astrology because that's hard. That's got math in it and it involves science. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. Uh, living in New York City at the time, I was able to study very deeply with um, wonderful astrologers who open their homes once a week, and you can study with terrific people. Nowadays, of course, you can learn a lot about astrology on the internet. There are some very good websites to learn about astrology. There's also ones that are basically just for entertainment, but at the time, I was going through very rigorous study with it because I, I'm pretty much both Aquarius and, and Scorpio are considered fixed signs. They're the signs that sustain the seasons, the middle of the season. So they're known for their stick to and their tenacity. So when I want to study something or learn something, I kind of do deep dive in it. And at the time I was single, I had a, I had the luxury of time in between working. And that's all I wanted to do was to study astrology. So, um, but what is, what does that mean? What does it do for us? Well, mm -hmm. one reason I was so interested in it was uh, friends of mine had been studying astrology with um, a great astrologer, Rob Hand, who's written a lot of uh, our, our foundation books mm -hmm. when mm -hmm. people are learning. Um, and so they were able to see through my horoscope and this man I was interested in that probably the relationship wasn't going to work out. And the deal with this relationship was I had met this guy one night in New York City, um, and he was a friend of a good friend of mine from Oregon. And you mentioned you you had lived in Portland. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So anyway, he and I began, he went home the next day, and both of us just kind of had this um instant connection. And so we began this burning correspondence. And this is the old days with letters, <laughs> longhand, and uh, pre-internet or uh, even fax. So it was really a trove of written material, sending photographs. Then we finally broke into phone calls. And um, eventually I agreed to go out to Oregon. Uh-huh. And so my friends who had looked at the charts said, well, you should go. This looks like an experience you really want to have. And I was just head over heels. And I thought, great, you know, I'm going. Not that anyone could have told me anything anyway. <laughs> of course. Um, I was young and I was, it was very exciting. And so as soon as I got off the plane and started walking towards him in the airport, I thought, oh, my God, this is a mistake. <laughs> um, I did end up having a really good time most of the time in my visit. And Oregon is an amazing state. Mm -hmm. I, I saw desert. I saw mountains. I saw city, although Portland has changed radically since yes. I was there. Oh, gosh, we're talking almost 40 years ago. Um, but um, I came back. And the first thing I did was go up to my friends. And I said, what did you see that you didn't tell me? And that's uh, in total candor. That's what began my rabid study, mm -hmm. because I was determined to never let that happen to me again, that mm -hmm. I would know the um, whatever it was that they had seen that I had not you know, I was just uh, starry eyed. I, I couldn't I couldn't see until I was 
uh, actually got to spend more time with him. And so astrology shows us, um, it shows us the potential of a person. Mm. It shows us their, uh, their raw data, the, the challenges and opportunities we have in this lifetime. And the thing about this particular guy and I that just was not in sync at all mm -hmm. is that a lot of people know astrology from sun sign columns. It's, right. Um, I'm an Aquarius, so I look at this information about the month of March. And that's really only telling me about one aspect of my reality, mm -hmm. because the sun is how we shine in this lifetime. It's it's like knowing knowing that Dave is a plumber or Jack is a lawyer. You know one thing about them that they really shine at and show to the world, but you don't know deeper pieces of their character or who they are. The moon sign that changes every two and a half days gives us a lot more content about an individual because that's talking about their emotional life, mm. their habits, their patterns, how they respond in a crisis. And so this particular man in my moon signs didn't jive well. Mm -hmm. And the moon sign is what tells us how you want to live with a person, how you want to uh, do a vacation, where you want to go to dinner, because that's kind of what makes us feel comfortable. And it's not that people can't work together if their moon signs are disparate, but it, it's helpful to have that information <laughs> so that you can see how you're navigating things. Yeah, because that sounds like uh, everyday life whether it it flows or whether you're constantly kind of at odds with each other absolutely it's definitely everyday life and uh so the other thing that we look at in the horoscope is so the moon and sun are considered the personal planets the lights and then the rising sign is how a person appears their persona uh, so it may not be how the person feels about themselves, but it's how the world sees them. Mm. So uh, when somebody's writing a sun sign column, actually, if you know your rising sign, it's it's usually of more use to you if you're reading the sign that's your rising sign, also known as the ascendant, because that's how the astrologer comes up with the information. Um, so let's say you know you're a Aries and you have Capricorn rising. So read the information about Capricorn, uh, Capricorn as well as Aries. And the truth is an amalgam of the two. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I've so, always done that. I look at the rising, and sometimes I'll check. I'll look at the moon, my moon sign too, and do all three. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And so, the nice thing about all this information on the net and in sun sign columns is it gives people a lot of um, uh, reason to be interested in astrology. And one thing I love about the internet, and also just there's so many. There are a lot of really good astrologers out there who are sharing information now. So that helps people to see the validity of it, even though um, uh, traditionally valuing astrology has always been a little, not necessarily a, something people would be forthcoming with, depending mm -hmm. on the environment they're in. But I think that's one thing that is, is shifting somewhat, especially with younger people. They seem to be very curious about ways in which to understand how things are working more than just taking things on face value. And that's also partly because our, our world is changing and it's uh, we see that mirrored in in the sky. And I should explain that mm -hmm. when when you look at a horoscope or, OK, let's say I'm looking at the astrology of a certain celebrity or person in the news. Okay. Uh, that person has a time they came in 
to the earth. Mm -hmm. And so if I look at that horoscope and I juxtapose it with what's going on in the sky now, it's showing me geometric pictures that gives me information about what is pertinent or uh, up for that person at this point in life. And so if I can do that with a celebrity, um, of course I can do that with clients that is a more intimate conversation and I have verifiable birth data for them because celebrities, sometimes it's a little up in the air. You're not necessarily sure of the time they were born. Mm -hmm. And all these things have an effect on that unique point of entry when the soul came in and what they're here to do. Mm -hmm. So, um, so, so you're when, talking about where the planets are now mm -hmm. and how they're aspecting or influencing your chart at the time of your birth. Right. And, and different astrologers have different language we use because we actually have different perceptions about why astrology works. Ah. Okay. Um, and some people might say, yes, the planets themselves are having some direct influence or magnetic uh, pull on an individual. I don't know that that's true. What I do understand through my studies with astrology, because I studied for a while at the uh, Carl Jung Center and actually personally went through Jungian analysis. So mm -hmm. I'm a real believer in how symbols mirror what's going on with us psychologically. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the planets in the heavens, if we look at a planet like Jupiter, Jupiter was the, the king of the gods, um, the, the sky god. And, um, and Jupiter, the planet, is the largest planet in our solar system. Jupiter is said to be the great benefic, the, the planet of good fortune, and was the god of good fortune. So what's interesting is the planet Jupiter, of course, by its uh, gravitational pull, prevents asteroids from falling into Earth. So hmm. there is a lot to say about the actual uh, planet energy in relation to what's going on here on Earth. But looking at it just symbolically, when somebody's going through a Jupiter transit, let's say they have Jupiter on the sun or on their rising sign, um, it could be a very lucky time for them, a time when people see them more, when opportunities come their way. Uh, for a woman who's telling me she's trying to get pregnant, I'm going to look at where Jupiter is transiting so that I can work with that and the phases of the moon to let her know what her most fertile times would be. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of um, there's a lot of useful information that can come out of astrology just looking at the symbolic context of each planet in relationship to the person's individual horoscope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, how does, you know, we hear a lot about, it. Just this just popped into my head, so I'll go with it. Uh, we hear a lot about, oh, Mercury's retrograde. <laughs> well, <laughs> right. what, what does that mean? And how does that tend to, uh, on a general level, how does that tend to uh, affect us? Well, Mercury goes retrograde about three or four times a year, depending on the year. And what that means is that from our perspective here on Earth, the planet seems to be moving backwards. It's, it's like um, uh, all planets have different orbital cycles. So if you're on a, a train going at a certain velocity and you're watching a car on the road, that car may seem to be going backwards because the car is only going 40 miles per hour and the train's going 50 miles per hour. They're both going in forward motion, but it's, it's how it appears. So again, what that means symbolically is Mercury was the messenger god. Um, the Mercury was actually very important because he was one of the few gods who could move between the heavens, earth, and the underworld, the world of death. Mm 
So um, when Mercury's retrograde, we don't operate on the same forward channels that our 24-7 high-tech world is used to operating on. We're actually working more in channels of communication that have more to do with depth and uh, plumbing the unconscious and reflection, intuition, meditation. Mm-hmm. So when it's retrograde, um, it's it's not bad. There's never bad periods. They tend to be, well, I shouldn't say that really, <laughs> um, but the retrograde in itself is neutral. It's more a matter of how the individual is working with it or align or making compensation for it. So if we're trying to schedule six connections on a day when Mercury's retrograde and we're making all these different connections with mass transits or with planes or with scheduling, the odds are that something is not going to work because the energy is more about look under the surface, look deeper. So that 10 o'clock meeting may run over because somebody was late and then you got into a very pivotal conversation that was necessary for whatever's happening next. We also say you don't want to sign contracts when Mercury's retrograde because there's some information that has not come to the surface that hasn't been totally vetted or worked through. Mm-hmm. So. Different planets, for instance, uh, Venus will be retrograde in 2020. She doesn't go retrograde every year. But um, when she's retrograde, Venus is the planet that has to do with value, love, and money. So when Venus is retrograde, um, it's not recommended to invest in a high-priced object or to uh, do a makeover or to um, or to do something that's got to do with long-range investment plans because the planet that has to do with how we value something is going deeper so we need to go into that depth to understand once she's direct what we were learning from that and that's what mercury teaches us too it's just it's so fast because it happens so often that many people are not really aware of it unless they're working in communications or they're Geminis or Virgos, because those are the signs that are linked to the planet Mercury. Mm -hmm. The rest of us may feel it when, for instance, we're coming out of a Mercury retrograde, where the retrograde depending on the sign it's going through, is directly affecting some of our personal planets. Uh, For instance, before we started talking, I was saying that Mercury was just retrograde in the sign of Scorpio. So someone who has the sun in Scorpio or Mercury in Scorpio, Venus in Scorpio, and it's not unusual to have these planets all in the same sign because they travel so closely with the sun. Mm -hmm. That person is going to feel the effects of that retrograde more than a Scorpio ordinarily would. Mm-hmm. And I certainly did feel this last one. <laughs> uh, do you know why. how long, do you know how long Venus is going to be retrograde in 2020? Sure. Venus is going to be retrograde from, uh, from May 13th to June 25th. Okay. Everybody might like to know that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Actually, I'm going to my goddaughter's wedding at the end of June. So fortunately, she scheduled it once Mercury, once Venus was direct. Did she do that on purpose? 
I don't know. She's, uh, <laughs> she said she knows she can ask me anything, but you know, sometimes when you're that close to a person, yeah, they might figure out things on their own. And as I said, she is uh, one of those millennials, um, young people who are very interested in astrology, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. So, why, why do you think astrology has been so male? maligned that's what i want to say why why has it been so maligned why do people think there's no validity to it i often wondered that well we're recovering from a long period of calculated um strategic um power play, which stems from actually, quote, the age of enlightenment and what was going on with the uh, church at the time, because astrology was very threatening to um, powers that wanted to um, have people think that they had all the answers. I mean, astrology, I see as um being a a tool that i mean whether you believe in god or the higher power or whatever i see it as being a tool that is available to us to help us work more consciously with our lives i don't see it as being a a threat or a, a, that one can't believe in uh, a certain god or religion and still be a practicer of astrology. Um, the the New Testament talks about the three wise men, the Magi, who um, one priest said to me a while back, a Jesuit, he said, well, they were astrologers. So mm-hmm. it, it depends on your perception or your point of view. But at the time um, that science especially was so threatened by astrology, because astrology works, there is another form of astrology called heliocentric, but most astrologers work geocentrically, putting the earth in the center of the horoscope because Mm -hmm. people are born on earth. Mm -hmm. So we're looking at what's going on up around in the sky but at the time that it was determined the sun was the center of the universe astrology was seen as a pseudoscience Mm -hmm. and i don't really see astrology as a science i see astrology as an art form that works with science Mm -hmm. it's a it gets its information from understanding science, astronomy, uh, geometry, that's, that's where the information stems from. But I don't, I don't pretend to be a scientist. I am a person who's working with information that's available to us and interpreting it through symbolic language. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Astrology has been, I, I have a, actually, <laughs> my old, one of my old college roommates is married to an astrophysicist for NASA. Uh-huh. Names will not be mentioned. <laughs> but um, anyway, he, he, it was painful to him when I first started to study and get involved in astrology. And that gave me a, uh, an insight because if you're someone like, Neil deGrasse and you're at a cocktail party and somebody comes up to you and says, oh, I love astronomy. I'm a Libra. (laughs) That's the last thing he wants to hear. So, of course, people like he and Carl Sagan uh, were always great disparagers of astrology. And because I have been at parties where I've told someone I'm an astrologer and they start talking to me about astronomy Mm. and I correct them and I say, I take my information from astronomy, but I'm not an astronomer. I'm an astrologer. And my perception is that people who want me to be an astronomer when we're having those conversations suddenly don't know what to say to me because (laughs) they really aren't interested in astrology. Uh So, 
the same thing may happen to Neil deGrasse, only he doesn't appreciate it. So um, that's partly why I think it is. And I, I think that the internet with more and more cogent information getting out there that people can read about where astrology comes from and why we work with it thousands of years after it was first developed and uh, discovered is because it works. It mm -hmm. absolutely works. And people can disparage it, but it's working whether they're disparaging it or not. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's true. Cool. That's great. Thank you. That was very cogent. Um, let's talk about, okay, you and I had talked a little bit about uh, the influence of outer planets, the outer planets and the coming years, how they're going to influence us on a, a personal level, on a, a, a community level, on a planetary level. So the reason we're focusing on the outer planets is because the the inner planets, the ones that are closer to the Earth, are moving a lot faster. So the outer planets, I'm not sure how to, you can probably say this better than I, have a more uh, wide-ranging influence or a longer influence? Yeah, we, um, we actually refer to them as generational planets. Mm. Uh, and here's one way I, I talk to people about it. Jupiter and Saturn, uh, Jupiter's orbit is 12 years. Saturn's orbit is about 28 to 29 years. Mm -hmm. um, but Jupiter is really easy to kind of explain to a grammar school teacher because uh, if you have a third day, third grade class, most of that third grade class is going to have kids whose Jupiter is in, let's say, Gemini. And then the following year, most of the kids who come into the class, they're going to have Jupiter in Cancer. So you can be teaching third grade for 20 years. And you'll see that each class comes in and you have to tweak things a little differently because Jupiter's also, it tells us about how we learn. Jupiter was the god of uh, good fortune, but also knowledge, uh, wisdom. So Jupiter will indicate like how we learn. So certain, certain classes, uh, the kids are going to learn more uh, from hands-on touching things. Other classes, they're like razor sharp and racing away from concept to concept. And it just totally depends on the sign a person's Jupiter is in, how they read, how they gather information. Uh, hmm. Saturn, a little farther out, 28 to 29 years, that uh, I mentioned in uh, right in my intro about my Saturn return. Mm -hmm. That's when somebody's 28, 29 years old, and we step into our full expression of adulthood. You can certainly feel like you're an adult at 24, 25, and maybe depending on what's been going on in your life, you've had to take on a lot. But at that point in time, 28 to 29 years old, we um, we step into some manifestation that's about how we want to express full adulthood. And so um, we get married, we get divorced, we have a baby, we go back to school, we move, we buy a house, we do something concrete that's some sort of expression about what we're doing going forward. So most people, when I talk about the first Saturn return, have a very concrete memory of something that happened at that point in time. The outer planets, uh, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, much more slow-moving planets because they're farther out from the sun. Mm -hmm. So... One of the planets that, uh, well, actually the three of them are having, <laughs> having a big effect on what's been going on in the world over, well, quite some period of time. And uh, Pluto, 
Pluto is uh, in the sign of Capricorn now, and it entered Capricorn in 2008. Now, the sign that Pluto is in will orchestrate irrevocable transformation in the areas of life symbolized by that sign. Capricorn is about institutions, financial, educational, religious. Mm. It's also Mm -hmm. about the status quo, the uh, power structures. And in 2008, of course, um, there was the huge uh, stock market uh, Mm -hmm. And, uh, And at this point in time, Pluto is in later degrees Capricorn. So we're in kind of the last phases of the cycle. But what's so um, what's so pivotal for a country like the United States at this point in time is that it will undergo its first Pluto return. Now, I've talked a little about the Saturn return, Saturn indicating structures and um, limits. Nothing limits us as much as fears, how we discipline ourselves. Pluto represents power, uh, mergers, uh, as I said, irrevocable transformation, birth, death. And so when a country has a Pluto return, as the United States will in 2022, there's usually a, a an upheaval that occurs in reevaluation in the way they do government. So astrologers have been looking at this for a long time because we've seen this coming. And um, the next year, 2020, is going to be a very well, challenging year in many ways, because Saturn, also in the sign of Capricorn now, makes a conjunction, meaning that if you look up in the sky and see the planet Saturn with a telescope, way, way behind it is the planet Pluto. Mm -hmm. So that we call a conjunction. It only happens once at uh, on January 12th, and there may be nothing major in the news that day, but what's happening is that we are in this place, which is all about we're experiencing external things that will come from um, things that have been working under the surface for a long time. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's going to kick off the theme of next year, which not just in the United States, I'm talking about the United States because there is, the United States is going through a transit like a human being would. Mm -hmm. Um, This is just a big one. A human being will never go through a Pluto return because its orbit is about 242 years. Well, that that makes sense. (laughs) That's never going to happen. We do go through Pluto transits, but they're more um, a 90-degree angle or maybe a 180, but never the entire. And even though 180 degrees, I mean, somebody would be very old. So So anyway, um, so we look more about how this affects longer lasting institutions Mm -hmm. than individuals. And so tracking that, looking at countries like the UK or whatever, one can get information about how this manifests. And um, so for individuals, for for all of us as we go into 2020, um, it's going to look a lot like um, if there's been something kind of brewing for a long time in your um, in your unconscious, if there's been something that you've been, wanting to do or has been bothering you or patterns of behavior that may get in your way from doing what you really want to achieve in life. Um, you may feel this, this 
transit this movement very personally because it it offers an opportunity for us to bring things to the surface that usually are tamped down or not really brought up for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And when we bring them up, when we externalize them, it's because, um, well, I think one indication of this uh, in the United States certainly is uh, racism Mm -hmm. that's been a issue in the United States um, since it was founded. And when people say, why is everything coming up now? Why is it all so, um, so fraught at this point in time? Part of the reason is it's reckoning. It's time to bring things to the surface to determine what kind of country the United States wants to be. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So, and does, yeah. is this having to do with Pluto now? Yes. Yes, We're still talking about Pluto, although um, good, good um, indication. Also, Neptune, another outer planet, is in the sign of Pisces. And it's kind of almost in mid run at this point. It's 30 degrees per sign because there's 12 signs in a 360 degree wheel. Mm But um, Neptune in Pisces is really speaking a lot about how Pisces is the last sign of the zodiac. It We look at it as being the sign that has to do with, um, in its highest manifestation, universal love, how we're all connected in the big uh, universal unconscious. Every, every human being, whether we want to admit it or not, does have a connective resonance, um, but on its lowest manifestation, it's a sense of feeling victimized, of feeling um, like um, one has to sacrifice in some way. So I think it's also, and, and Neptune, each planet symbolizes a whole lot of things. And one of the things Neptune symbolizes is slavery. So I think with Neptune moving through the sign of Pisces, which is a sign that the planet is related to, it's really asking us, not not just the United States, but the world, to look at why slavery is seems to be integral to so many economies. Mm-hmm. And slavery is, of course, subtle. There are all different forms of what that may look like. Um, so we're in a period of time where there's a lot of knowledge coming out about people who are disenfranchised or not able to speak up for themselves, women, children, people who don't have the rights that people enjoy in other countries. Um, and, and so it's, and even within the United States, again, to talk about that, this, the forms of slavery that still go on today, right? that where people are brought in and, oh, is that time? Oh no, that's, sorry, someone's, <laughs> sorry, that's somebody breaking through to me. The point about the Neptune in Pisces, which I actually just started to think about this morning, um, is we are, as a world, experiencing profound grief. Mm. Um, We are, many people are grieving because the planet is not the natural environment they used to know. They're grieving because they don't see economic structures leading their children or grandchildren to the same places they were led. They're grieving because their idealization of what they thought the world could be just seems to be so impossible to achieve. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So there's many different kinds of grief that people are experiencing. And I think that the more that we acknowledge that, yes, 
this is a time of irrevocable change, then we're able to move on and recreate. Because what happens when somebody goes through a grief process? A person has to be allowed to go through, well, they aren't always, but ideally a person is allowed to go through the intense mourning and emotional <clears throat> upheaval that grief takes them. And then they finally get to a place where they're accepting that the world is not what it used to be for them because a person isn't in it anymore, a job isn't in it anymore. And this could be an individual who's going through a Pluto transit themselves. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but we as a world are going through Pluto and Neptune transits, um, which have so much to do about recreating reality. And what do we want that reality to look like? And when we're in profound grief, we don't even necessarily know because we're, we're not even sure what we have to work with as we go forward. So I think that um, what's helpful for people at this point in time is to embrace and understand that the world as we know it is shifting and yet we get to be the architects of what the world looks like next. And if we just, um, if we just shirk off responsibility or, or don't want to pay attention to it or, or self-medicate to points of blindness mm -hmm. that, um, we are not being instruments of the, the new world, the new changes. And I, I still am optimistic about the future because I, I know that it's not going to be what it was, but I also know that everything it was, wasn't something we wanted it to be anyway. Right. There were a lot of flaws and faults mm -hmm. with mm -hmm how the world has built itself up and structured itself. So as economy starts to shift and change, the industries that are going to be successful are going to be industries that work more collaboratively because that's where we're headed. Okay. Where as I look, you know, even beyond 20, because the thing about astrology is you can just lay these maps over like, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and, and really vision what the potential is. But so much has to do with decisions people make today. Right, right. So do you see that that really helps give some, some sense of, of, like you said, optimism, of inspiration that, you know, we are the architects of this, whatever is, is evolving. Um, is there, are there any transits coming up that are going to help support everyone in creating this new, I don't even know what to call it, but you know, this new way of being or. <laughs> well, um, uh, in, in total honesty, um, there, the best way to utilize the energy in the next year is to co-create. Okay. So Jupiter right now is in the sign of Sagittarius. It's moving into the sign of Capricorn. And once it moves into Capricorn, Jupiter is, it's not really comfortable in Capricorn at all because Capricorn is the sign that's linked to Saturn mm -hmm. and Saturn is kind of the opposite energy of father authority that Jupiter is. Jupiter is more, you know, let's go out, let's expand, let's explore. And Saturn's like hunker down, study, do what you have to do, be responsible. Mm -hmm. So energetically, they're, they're very different. Um, so when Jupiter's in Capricorn, it's almost like the 
planet that has its wings totally spread right now um, comes to Earth. And that'll happen in early December. And so when that happens, um, we'll probably notice it um, economically where it doesn't mean things are going to be dire, but it just means that a lot of speculation or no holds barred that has continued in spite of um, signals to the contrary is probably going to start to tailor back. Oh, you're breaking up. Okay. So um, when Jupiter's in Capricorn, we're going to see uh, whatever speculative things are still out there or like um, chance investing tailor back. Mm -hmm. And what they'll, it doesn't mean that people aren't going to be taking risks, but the risks are going to be a lot more calculated and they're going to be a lot more about show me the results, show me the tangible from where I'm going to be putting my money. Mm -hmm. So people are, are going to be more invested in things that have um, better track records towards them. And so one of the things that, so yes, certainly companies that typically have done well, but also anything that has to do with what's really going to work for creating something that has a better structural foundation. So, um, so there is going to be more of a thrust into how we create energy or things that have more to do with long-term survival than fast turnaround gain. So that sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. So things like, um, people who don't take climate change seriously, the reality of uh, the benefits of long-term investment in solar or wind or other forms, it's just going to be obvious that it's more of the productivity that brings longer-term wealth. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to reflect on anything. So for anybody who's involved with some sort of creative enterprise, mm -hmm. 2020 is a great year to really dive into it, to invest okay. in things that you see as being long-term value. It's not a flash in the pan period of time at all. It's more, where are you truly investing your energy? Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, for people who've been maybe wondering where to land or what's worth putting their time into, mm -hmm. 2020 is going to really be urging them to put their time into what they value most. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be things like family, real estate, um, my creative project, what I care most about, what if um, this, this were, what if this were the period that I, I can make or break something? What do I want to be doing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so just um, checking out Netflix and streaming for, for a weekend may not be as compelling to people as it's been in this period where they kind of need to check out now and again. Mm -hmm. I think there'll be more checking in that happens in 2020 because it's um, we're, we're kind of being asked to um, step up to what we care most about. Mm -hmm. So it would be a, a good endeavor to look at what you value. Now, it's interesting. I'm going to do a newsletter on values clarification um, and, and how, to, how to do that uh, because that's where it would be best to put your attention, your time, your energy, your, um, you know, to walk your talk. 
and, Absolutely. and and really look at you know what what do you value what what's your what are your highest values and mm-hmm. are you putting your time and energy in support of those values right right because there's so many distractions mm-hmm. nowadays it's yep. it's so easy to kind of come home and forget about what you really wanted to be doing with your free time mm-hmm. and you know people will just turn on the internet and 3 hours later they realize oh i <laughs> i need to cook dinner <laughs> yeah i know i know so yeah. um so and that may be okay if what you're doing online is in alignment with what it is you really want to be expressing or doing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think the value thing sounds like a, a, a very topical exercise that people could really benefit from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's important. I've, I've always found it to be very helpful and, and your values change as you, as you grow older, as your life experiences change. Um, they, they, so it's something that's good to do every once in a while it, because it's not static. Right. Right. You know, I wanted to, I wrote something down that you had said, uh, at the beginning of the conversation. Um, and I want, I just, before we finish, uh, this has been really, I think it's been really good to give people a, you know, I find that when I have an understanding of kind of why things are happening, what's going on, it, it makes it easier for me to settle into it and and i don't know somehow it makes it less stressful it's like you know there there's a a reason uh, for for why events are taking place and for some reason to me it it makes it easier to feel like you can do something you can make a contribution yeah yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of times people just say to me that they feel validated or that um, they're they're calmer about knowing, you know, we all have difficult periods we go through right now. As I said, we're, we're going through it globally. Mm-hmm. But for some individuals, it's even more intense. Because um, where the planets are are triggering parts of their personal horoscope, right? And if somebody has a map, a time frame of it, and they know that it will, you know, it has a beginning and an end, mm-hmm. then it's it's easier to process through it because they they see there is a. I mean, I I believe that we come into this lifetime um, with a a sense of we are all part of this experience that's occurring on the planet at this point in time. So the more reminders we have of the validity of that, the more that it it can be empowering, but it also can help us relax at certain points mm-hmm. when we realize we cannot push the rock up the hill. Mm-hmm. We, it's just it's just not the time that we're supposed to be pushing the rock up the hill. Mm-hmm. If we wait until six months or whatever, the rock may just go up the hill because <laughs> we have help. Right. But um, so it's good to know that sense of um, how things are, are, are flowing or not flowing or what the universal intelligence has, because it's, it's an absolutely beautiful design, mm-hmm. the design of the planets and the solar system and how we as, as human beings all seem to operate and work with one another. But um, sometimes we don't because we're we're basically fighting ourselves, mm-hmm. and and that's what I would love to see. I don't know if I'll see it in my lifetime, but the future where people work more collaboratively instead of um, against one another because of 
sense of lack or whatever their unawareness is of the bigger reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree. I would agree. Oh, okay. So this is great because I think that's a really good wrap up. Uh, but just, I wanted to ask you, you said you use the tarot cards uh, as a meditation tool, tool, the uh, major arcana. And I was wondering, could you, I, I just have a feeling there might be some people who would like to do that. It, it, can you um, just give a little explanation of, of how you would go about doing that? Mm-hmm. Wow. <clears throat> okay. Um, or is it too big of a topic? But <laughs> well, it, it's kind of a big topic, but just for for anyone who's familiar with tarot or, or even if actually, even if you're not, um, but you have a deck, mm-hmm. um, the way I did it was I took from the fool, which is the first card zero and went through the world and each card I would meditate and work with for a three day period. And it's very deep work. And most of us don't have time to do it. As I said, at the time I was single, <laughs> I had mm-hmm. time to stay. But even just as a, um, as a meditation catalyst, let's say I'm going through a period where I feel as though something is so hard. I just, don't know how I can possibly make the certain situation turn around. I'll pull out, I would pull out the card strength because strength is a card that is often depicted as a woman who is uh, basically stroking a a lion And she's very calm and peaceful, and the lion seems very at peace in her company. And the symbolism of the card is that we have, each of us has the strength to work with the natural environment to make things that we would ordinarily be afraid of something that we're working in harmony with. And that's just a very shorthand to the card strength. Mm -hmm. But um, if I'm overwhelmed with a certain problem or situation and feel like there's no way I can get through this bureaucratic whatever, that card um, has always, for me, been a very strong card because, and we all have, different cards that we're going to gravitate to for different reasons. In my case, uh, there's four elements in astrology, earth, air, fire, and water. I have no earth. Mm. So strength to me is a card that reminds me that I am part of the earth and that I have access to all the energy and force of the earth, which is a tremendous force to have mm-hmm. to make things happen. But I cannot do it without aligning myself with the force of the earth, which is what the lion represents too, a creature of the earth of the, um, of the wild environment. So, um, so I would use strength to just, I'd, prop it up in front of me. I'd look at the card in the same way some people meditate looking at a candle or looking at a body of water or a mm-hmm. crystal mm-hmm. and just use the card as a place where I'm going and clear my mind of all thoughts. When you do that, regardless of the card, maybe you want to work with um, maybe you want to work with a hermit because you don't have enough lo- alone time. Maybe you want to work with the lovers because you're trying to make a decision and you just don't know the right way. Mm-hmm. Whichever card it is, if you allow yourself some meditative time with it, the answer comes. Hmm. Great. Great, because I think that's a lot of people have decks that they don't really use them. And uh, I think that would so pull out the major arcana and, yeah, use it as a meditative tool or a tool to help trigger your your subconscious, your source uh, 
knowledge, energy to help bring you the answers that you need. Right. And maybe to your point, they have cards and they don't use them. Maybe just pull the deck out and look at cards and see which one is is calling to you mm -hmm. and use that as the tool because your your subconscious knows your right. subconscious has all the answers. It's just we cloud it all the time with, um, you know, what we think we should do or logic or processing. Conditioning. And so, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. And so we, we lose our way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one reason the cards have, um, and they're so intriguing. I mean, you're right. <laughs> Cards are a whole other conversation. Right, right. But it's because they speak to a part of us that's nonverbal. Mm -hmm. And and that can have us know what the right direction is before we've intellectualized it. Mm -hmm. Yes, interesting. Well, Pamela, how can people, if somebody is interested, they'd like to have an astrology reading or a tarot reading or both or you know some uh, some help from you how, how can they get a hold of you my website is insightoasis.com and if you go to the website you can sign up for the newsletter you can contact me via the website that's probably the easiest way okay, okay great and I'll have a link on the podcast webpage too so people can just click on it if they like thank you well this has been wonderful thank you i've uh, i've really enjoyed it and i think um there's a lot of good information for people here too so thank you so much for the work you do thank you janine okay take care pamela you too thank you for listening and thank you so much pamela cuccinelle for your work in sharing your insightful wisdom and knowledge with us. I really appreciate it. The podcast website is realjanine.com. You can download or listen to the episodes from there, and you can sign up for the podcast bi-weekly newsletter uh, where you can keep up on new episodes, there'll be archived episodes, life updates, and always a healthy recipe. And remember, Janine is J-A-N-E-A-N. If you'd like to subscribe to Keeping It Real with Janine so you don't miss an episode, go to iTunes or your favorite podcast provider and you can subscribe from there. Check out the podcast YouTube channel with video slideshows of my conversations for people who prefer using YouTube. Do you know someone who would benefit from my conversation with Pamela? Oh, of course you do. Anyone can benefit. Uh, so please, please share the love. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Take care and...